If you'd like to read along with me, our uh, verse that our lesson will come from today will be the book of Romans, chapter 8, starting at verse 31 and going through verse 35. Romans 8, 31 through 35. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Have you ever watched a sporting event and uh, be paying attention to that and one team is doing so much better than the other one and the other team resorts to trying to injure uh, the, the best running back to keep him from running into the end zone or tries to high stick the hockey player when he's beginning to, to score. And I think we may have that amongst us today. I'm believing what happened, Cindy was doing so good skiing that she got kicked out of the lift because someone else was a little irritated about that. But we're glad she is, she and Carl are back with us. We miss them greatly, and uh, we're just sad that uh, she has hurt herself. Often things happen in our lives that we would just assume not happen. And sometimes those problems may cause us to lose sight of uh, anything else and what our main goal in this life is. Now, the thing is, difficulties are not going to vanish from this life, whether it is financial difficulty, whether it is uh, a personal difficulty with our work, or whatever the case may be. And so we have to learn to be able to cope with that properly. And it can be hard. It can be very hard to do that, but we must never allow the difficulties in this life to cause us to forsake God in some way and to lose sight of that which is most important because that can happen. The difficulties in this life can so much draw our attention away from the things that are certainly important and we might forsake God altogether. One might even believe God is forsaking him or her in uh, the midst of their trials and their, and their tribulations and their difficulties. An unknown poet wrote, he said, or she said, I said, God, I heard, and God said, I know. I said, God, I cry a lot, and God said, that's why I gave you tears. I said, God, I'm so depressed, and God said, that is why I gave you sunshine. I said, God, life is so hard, and God said, that is why I gave you loved ones. I said, God, my loved one died, and God said, mine did too. I said, God, it is such a loss, and God said, I saw mine nailed to a cross. I said, God, but your loved one lives. And God said, so does yours. I said, God, where are they now? And God said, mine is at my right hand and yours is in the light. I said, God, it hurts. And God said, I know. We must always keep in mind, even though we 
go through these difficulties in life and, and things happen to us. And we may even at times think that, that we're all alone in this scenario and it's never happened to anyone else or at least not as bad. We need to always remember that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15 When those times of sadness and difficulties come our way, we need to always remember to look up, even when we feel like we cannot look up. We still need to look in that direction. Let me share with you some interesting facts about uh, buzzards and bats and bumblebees. If you put a buzzard in a pen that is six or eight feet square and entirely open at the top, it'll be a prisoner in that open pen until the day it dies. The reason for that is that uh, a buzzard always begins flight with a, about a 10 or 12 foot run and then it hoists itself up into the air. And if it doesn't have 10 or 12 feet, it doesn't even try to fly. A buzzard's a strong flyer, but it can be in a pen six to eight feet square and uh, the top completely open and it will never even attempt to get away. The ordinary bat that flies around at night is remarkably nimble and we've seen them around uh, lights at night eating bugs and things and they'll fly around and, and go this way and that way and look very acrobatic. But if it's placed on the floor or any kind of a flat place, it'll just stumble around trying to get somewhere because it has to be on a high point and it has to throw itself off of that high point in order to be able to go uh, into the air and have flight. And so, unless it can do that, it will not be able to take off. A bumblebee. If you drop a bumblebee in a, in a glass and uh, leave the top completely off, it'll stay in that glass completely. Though the top is uncovered because it never looks up, it'll... It'll go around and around looking for a way of escape at the bottom of the glass. It'll never look up. But when it ever is poured out or allowed out, if you lay the glass down, it's able to crawl out and then it'll fly away. But they never look up. And I think in many ways, people are a lot like buzzards and bats and bumblebees. I think that Often things happen in our lives and we're not looking up like we ought to look when the answer really is right above us. Now in his letter to the Romans, the purpose of Paul writing to them is he wanted to encourage them to look to God even when it seemed like things were at their darkest hour when there was no hope whatsoever. And that could help them through their difficulties. And that's sometimes what happens, isn't it? Sometimes we begin to look around us and our difficulties truly are overwhelming. God has never denied the fact that difficulties in this life are not overwhelming. They can be very overwhelming. But we still need to look to God. Sometimes we get so caught up in the bad that we overlook the good. And there's a lot of good in this life, especially for the Christian. And the Holy Spirit wanted us to be encouraged because of the good things that God has provided for us. Now, the passage read for us is a wonderful passage of great encouragement. And that's what I've entitled the sermon this morning, a great encouragement. There are at least three things I think we can take with us from this short passage. There are a multitude of things, but I've 
chosen three things I think that we can take from this passage. And in the first two verses, we learn the very first thing we're going to notice is that God sacrificed for us. Paul was trying to get a reaction from his readers. He, he mentioned some things and he wanted them to react in a positive way. In fact, he asked, he said, what shall we say then to these things? Well, what things exactly was Paul, or to what things was Paul referring? Well, the whole previous chapter, chapter, uh, or the whole chapter of chapter 8, with the power, uh, and previous to, to our passage, talked about the power of God. Talked about the things that God was able to do for us, and the things that, that God expects us to do. And that He has the ability to save us, particularly in verses 28 and 30. God has the ability to save us. And that ought to be an encouragement to us, shouldn't it? The very fact that He sacrificed for us on our behalf ought to be an encouragement to us. It encourages us in this life when we see someone sacrifice on our behalf, doesn't it? You know, we look back over life and we may not appreciate it necessarily at the time, but we look back over life and we consider our parents. Well, what a sacrifice most parents make for their children. They, they want to be able to give their child or their children something better than what they had. I don't, I, I don't care who the parent is. I think that when we have children and they come into this world, we want to sacrifice for them. We want to give them some things we didn't have. You know, Nicole and I have often talked, and I know all parents are this way, uh, children growing up today, and, and this isn't, it isn't a bad thing. It isn't a bad thing. They don't understand exactly what it was like even when I was younger. I, I turned 48 in December, and I can remember growing up, and you know what we got in the in, in our stocking for Christmas? Oranges and apples and, and nuts and things like that. And that's, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. You know, we appreciated it. Uh, we got something for Christmas, and it was usually one thing. It was pretty good. You know, it was something out of the ordinary. That doesn't happen a whole lot in today's world with with our children today, does it? Normally, normally they get a lot of stuff and and maybe too much stuff. But I think that that's not necessarily bad as long as we're training them to to live the way God would want them to live. But we, the the whole point is we look back and and we understand that the things I got growing up was a sacrifice for my dad to give those to me. I can remember when I was. Uh, uh, 14 years old or 15 years old, my dad made $150 a week. And, of course, it's not like $150 today, but still, you know, that's 30 years ago or so. It still wasn't a lot of money, especially when you had three children and uh, you had to feed them. And that's what I tell my girls. You know, kids like to eat every day. They like to have a place to stay every day, clothes to wear every day, right? And so we make a sacrifice, and that ought to encourage us. When we look at our husbands and our wives and we see the great sacrifices they make for us and they put themselves uh, second, right? And that's what all husbands and wives ought to do. The husband ought to put himself second to the to the wife and, of course, I, I believe more so the husband ought to, but uh, the wife needs to put the husband where he ought to be and they demonstrate that love for each other. And that's a great sacrifice, but that's encouraging, isn't it? It's encouraging to us when our friends sacrifice for us. And when they do that, we, there's a reaction that comes with that, right? It's a show of appreciation. And Paul was making that statement. You know, he, 
he says, what shall we say to these things? Well, to what things? All these wonderful things that God's done for us in this great sacrifice. What, what can we say about the privileged status that God's given to the Christian in life? How wonderful that is. It, it's beyond imagination the things that God has done for Christians, really for the whole world, but especially for those who accept what He has provided. It is phenomenal. Can you imagine looking into eternity and trying to to figure out what heaven's like, and we're studying the Revelation, and that's about as close as we're going to get to looking into heaven, and we're almost over to those chapters. A street of gold, and and twelve gates, each being a pearl, and, and all of these wonderful things. What do we say about God providing that? We have the opportunity to stand in that position, and because of that, who can be against us? We might put Paul's statement this way, What is the logical conclusion to those truths, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? Of course, he was asking a rhetorical question. And this word if isn't the word if of uncertainty. If God is for us, as as if we don't know if He is or not. It's if God is for us, since God is for us, is the indication who can be against us. And so when he writes those things and he's seeking that reaction, we have to understand what's the reaction. What's the reaction? Well, the, the reaction is, is the result or should result in encouragement. We react to what God has done and therefore the result is we are encouraged. And that's what Paul wanted and that's what God wants. God wants us to be encouraged in this life. He wants us to know we can have salvation. He doesn't want the world to behave like the world and he specifically doesn't want His people to behave like the world. And we ought to be encouraged by His great love for us that He would sacrifice. Children want parameters to be set around them. Now, we may not realize it at the time when we're younger. But when we look back on it, and even at the time, in the back of their minds, a child will understand if mom and dad say, you can do this or you can do that, but you can't do these things, they understand why that is the reason. I'm not going to let you go hang around with this group of people because they don't behave properly, and I don't want to read about you in the newspaper getting killed in a car wreck. I'm not going to allow you to do this or that because the end result of that leads to something where I don't want you to be, and since I'm your parent and I'm sacrificing for you, I want you to be encouraged to know you can do better and that things can be better. And that's what Paul is saying to these people. Bad times are around you right now, but but I want to, I want the reaction and the result to be encouragement because you reacted properly to what God has done, these great things, and you've accepted it and you've been obedient to Him. Now be encouraged knowing that God is going to do what He said He is going to do. Paul went on to explain what it meant to him personally when he said God spared not His own Son. He went on to explain his own blessed assurance in that. And he used Abraham and Isaac. He used Abraham and Isaac, those wordings and those phrases, because those people reading this letter would have understood something about Abraham. Abraham, who was promised a son, a particular special son, the only begotten son, one of its kind, right? Uh, He had multiple children, but he had one son who was a promised son that he was given promises that through that son the world would be blessed. 
what God asked him to do. He said, you take, and notice how he described him, you take your son, your only begotten son, the son whom thou lovest, and you take him over on this mountain, and you sacrifice him to me. How long had Abraham waited on that boy? He was a hundred years old about when he came. And now he's going to have to haul him off and take him somewhere and sacrifice him. But his great faith in God and his appreciation to God allowed him to be encouraged that God would bring that boy back to life. Of course, we know how it ended. The result. An angel stayed his hand. But, you know, by doing that, he demonstrated God's great love for those people hearing that. God sacrificed. God sacrificed. Now there was a difference, a great difference, between the actions of God and the actions of Abraham. When God gave His only begotten Son, there wasn't an angel to stay the hand of the executioner. Can you imagine, and we look back and we, we make these pictures, in our, these mental pictures in our mind, and I always see Abraham raising his knife up. Now I don't know if that's how he did it or not. But I see Abraham raising his knife up in the hand of an angel, staying his hand and saying, Abraham, no. Well, the same, a very similar thing happened to Christ. It wasn't a knife, but that soldier raised the hammer as he went to drive the nails into the hands and the feet of our Lord. And there was no angel to say, no, don't do that. Don't do that. There wasn't another sacrifice. There wasn't a ram caught in the thicket to replace that. There could only be one sacrifice. And we ought to be encouraged because God sacrificed for us. That ought to encourage us to greater service, to greater faithfulness. God gave us His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 Should not perish. Didn't say they would not. But there's no reason to perish after the sacrifice God's made for us. That's the first thing that I want us to take away when we read this. God's sacrifice for us. That's a great encouragement. Secondly, is God safeguards us. We see that in verses 33 and 34. God safeguards us. And I think it's very important to understand from what God safeguards us. What is it that He prevents from happening to us. Because do bad things happen to good people? It happens every day. So what exactly is it? From what is God safeguarding us? Well, first, I want us to notice He safeguards us against false declaration. Paul asked another question to get the brethren to thinking. Who shall lay any charge or anything to the charge of God's elect? Well, we have to understand who's God, who God's elect is. God's elect is a chosen group of people that He elected from eternity, Ephesians 3 verse 11, that would take place and happen through Christ Jesus of a group of people who would choose to be obedient to Him. And He said, I will elect those people to go to heaven. Now the door is wide open for anyone to go in and be a part of that elect. So we have to understand who the elect is. <clears throat> now, Romans 8, verse 28 of our passage, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So, those who are elect choose to be elect. 
They choose to live according to God's laws and to be obedient to those laws. Now, those who love God, what do they do? Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. And again, God's elect isn't some arbitrary number. God didn't choose from the foundation of time that 10,973,000,000 people are going to go to heaven. Out of all the billions of people who've lived on earth, He didn't do that. That's not a just God. He said, anybody who wants to obey my commandments can go to heaven because that's exactly what Paul told Timothy, wasn't he? He told Timothy that, that, that God wanted all men everywhere to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and be saved. Now, the obedient who choose election cannot have a charge laid to their account. If they choose the election, they choose to be a part of that group, and they walk in the light, 1 John 1, 6 through 9, and the blood of Jesus Christ is continually cleansing them, what's Satan going to say? What's anyone else going to say? They're being disobedient. You've got to punish them because they're sinning. No, you can't lay a false declaration at the feet of someone who's walking in the light. God safeguards us from that. He does it through His sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ. There's something else from which He safeguards us. He safeguards us from false condemnation. We see false declaration. Now He safeguards us from false condemnation. The question is, who will then condemn us? Who can condemn us? Who can condemn the faithful Christian? Who can condemn the person who's listened to the gospel of Christ, has believed that Jesus is who He said He was, John 8, 24, chose to repent of all past sins, Acts 2, 38, wanting to change their lives, wanting to be what God needs us to be, confessing that He is the Son of God, just like the Ethiopian eunuch did. And in Romans, the same book, Romans 10, verse 10, Paul said, confession is made unto salvation. They've done that. Then they were immersed in water. The person who has done that and has remained faithful like Paul did, 2 Timothy 4, uh, 7 and 8. Who can condemn that person? Can Satan stand before God on the last day and say that person is deserving of hell fire? No, because God safeguards us from false declaration, false charges, and false condemnation through that sacrifice. That ought to encourage us to greater service and to greater faith. We ought to take that away. From there, no one's able to condemn us and separate us because that's what condemnation is eternal condemnation, separation from God. No one's able to do that, no one can do that. It's not possible, it's not going to happen. And that ought to encourage us to know that we have an advocate who's going to stand there and, and plead on our behalf. And when Satan comes along and says, Rick Owens is worthy of death because he sinned and he wouldn't be lying. But Jesus will say, I paid the price. I paid the price. He safeguards us. There's something else he does. He sacrificed for us. He safeguards us. And our last final point is, God secures us. That ought to encourage anyone, right? That ought to encourage us to greater faith, to greater work, to be a greater Christian. We see that in verses 35 through 39. 
Now, the first thing that God secures us and prevents us from happening to us is separation. God will not allow us to be separated. That is one of the most comforting thoughts that the Bible has presented to us. God will never allow... Now, there is a caveat to that, right? God will never allow the faithful child of God to be separated from Him. He will not allow it. He will not allow a government who threatens to take someone's life to remove someone from the sight of God against that person's will. We're reading about it right now in the Revelation. Paul is warning these people, no one can make you be separated from God. Christ promised this to us. John 10, beginning with verse 27. He said, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. John 10, 27-28. Why? Because God secures us from separation. Now notice who he's talking about. He's talking about his sheep who hear his voice. If we hear the voice of Jesus and we love him, he said, he'll, you'll keep my commandments. No one can make a stop. Isn't that comforting? Someone might prevent us from doing certain things in this life. Someone might prevent us from having a job. Someone might prevent us from breathing. Someone might prevent us from eating. Someone might prevent us from resting. Someone might prevent us from living in this life, but they can never take Jesus away from us. They can never separate us from our God. And that is a great comfort. God secures us. Now, He never said that He would force us to remain in the safety and the protection of His hand. We can leave it whenever we want to. Notice again what Paul said in our passage. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Christ said, Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. He didn't say it was impossible to leave his hand. Paul didn't say you can't separate yourself. He said, well, who shall separate us from the love of God? Only myself. Only myself. That's the only person. Why? Because God secures us, right? He secures us. He prevents separation. We're talking about outside forces, right? Paul didn't say we could not separate ourselves. In fact, when he wrote to the Galatian brethren, he said, you who are justified by the law are fallen from grace. Galatians 5 verse 4. They chose to fall. They chose to leave, right? Outside of our own free will, nothing can separate us from Christ. So God secures us from separation. And he also secures us from tribulation. From tribulation. Now, Paul was not teaching nor did he indicate or ever in, insinuate that bad things would not happen to good people in this life because he was the poster child right behind, in my opinion, Jesus and Job of bad things happening to someone. But God will secure us from tribulation. Those things that happen in this life can even cause someone's love to grow cold for God. And when that happens, that person is in danger of leaving God.
God. We allow the things of this life to, to impact us in, in ways that are negative. Whether it's through the opportunities we've had that we take. It might be through um, uh, money or finances. It might be through uh, relationships, connections that we have, people that we know that we interact with daily. They can cause us to allow our love to grow cold. Now, they can't make our love grow cold. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul intended. We can allow those things to cause our love to grow cold for God. And when that happens, we're in danger of losing our souls. One might even feel like that he's outside of God's love when bad things happen. That's a common reaction in the world. But Paul reminded those in Rome that they were still in the love of God. And that's why he's writing this encouragement to them. In themselves, trouble and hurt cannot keep one from God. In and of themselves. Difficulties can't separate us from God. Hurt can't separate us from God. And we should never allow difficulties and hurt to cause us to be unfaithful to God. Not long after Paul wrote this letter, maybe four or five years after, he suffered some of the greatest pains that could be inflicted on someone by Nero. In fact, he was mistreated, he was beaten, he was uh, naked, he was hungry, and ultimately he gave his life for Christ. And so prior to that happening, he's encouraging the people, do not surrender your faith to the difficulties in this life. Paul answered his own question, right? He said, who shall separate us? Or he asked, who will separate us from the love of God? And how did he describe himself and those listening? In all these things, we are more than conquerors. That means super conquerors. We can overcome all things. He, God has given us an overwhelming victory in Christ. That ought to encourage us to greater service, to greater faith. What does, a, what does an earthly conqueror win in this world? Material things. What did Peter say were, was going to happen to all the things that make up this world? They're going to be burned away. They're going to be lost. So what does the spiritual conqueror win? Eternal life. Something that can never be taken away. Jesus said, lay up your treasure in heaven where moth doesn't corrupt, where, where uh, uh, the, it doesn't rust, it doesn't become destroyed. Lay up your treasures in heaven because where your treasures are, there's where your heart is. And God can secure us from tribulation because He's given us open access to the eternal abode through faith and obedience. An earthly conqueror doesn't gain those things. Paul declared that he was persuaded of those facts. Notice what he said, mighty angels, powerful governments, Things now present or to come in the future. The extremes of height or depth or any creature cannot cause one to stop loving God or cause God to stop loving us. That's an encouragement. Listen, salvation cannot be taken from someone. We can give it away, but it can't be taken from someone, and that's an encouragement. And the only time it is taken away is when within ourselves we grow weak and we give in to the things of this world. And that brings about loss of salvation.
As we read this beautiful passage, and I think it is a great encouragement, we learn some things. We come to know one great truth. God is for us. He wants us to be victorious. He wants us to be successful. What parent goes and watches a child participate in something that doesn't want them to be successful? What parent doesn't want to see their child to be successful in their business, in their job, in their marriage, in their family unit, in successful with the right friends? What parent doesn't want that? God wants us to be successful. He's given us every opportunity. And because God is for us, we are assured salvation if we choose it. God will secure us. He sacrificed for us. He uh, secures us. He makes sure that we have what we need. And all He asks in return is faithfulness. We don't have to worry about God saving us if we're faithful. He is more than able to do that. But we have to, we have to be His children. We have to obey the gospel. We have to be faithful members. We talked about how to become a Christian, faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. But what happens when we allow the world sometimes to discourage us? What happens when we become discouraged in ourselves and, and we turn away from God, whether we feel like God did it or or we just kind of feel sorry for ourselves and we think things should have gone differently, what do we do then? We can always come back, can't we? We can always come back. God wants us to be successful. He always leaves the door open. What parent closes the door on their child to never allow them back in their lives again? Not a good one. Not a good one. That doesn't mean we support everything they do. But what it means is we still love them and we give them the opportunities to do the right thing. And that's what God has done. For the Christian who's fallen away, who's gone back into the world, God says, come back, repent. Stop doing those things. Want to stop doing them. Confess that to God. It may have to be confessed publicly. But ask God to forgive you. Pray to Him. And He said He would. He said He'd forgive us. If you stand in either situation this day, If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.